0: 97.7 ACK-FM. I have with me in the studio right now, Ed Hagem, who is the author of his autobiography, On the Road, Less Traveled, An Unlikely Journey from the Orphanage to the Boardroom. He is a son of a Syrian immigrant and a seasonal Wall Street executive for more than 50 years. Ed, thank you so much for being here today. Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I, I have so many things I want to ask you about, but the first thing is, can you tell me about your wife, Barbara?
1: My wife, Barbara, it's the most important thing in my life. Yes. I love her more than yesterday and less than tomorrow. I preach this concept that one of the things you have to find in your life is a partner, sign someone to love, someone who will share your life and you can support her and she can support you. And that's been a big support. We're married now. This August, will be 56 years. And wow. I have three children and eight grandchildren. And that's truly our legacy. That's my legacy. Barbara has been a real partner. And there's no decision that I've ever made that I haven't included her. And she has a different perspective. And bringing her into almost all my decisions has really helped in everything I've done. And, of course, bringing me to Nantucket. We were here, 1986, we arrived. We were here for two hours. She said, get a real estate agent. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good call. And the
0: rest, is, the rest is history, right? Exactly. So when I read this book, I definitely got the sense that it's here as an educational tool for young people, for those who might feel like they have disadvantages, that they have obstacles in in their way, and, and you're an example of someone who had obstacles, disadvantages.
1: What has writing this book done for you? Andrew, you're you're right on. It's it's so you're so perfect. One of those expressions I use is don't let the beginning define the end. I recognize in writing the book, one of the things that helped me, it taught me why I did certain things that I did, how I did them, and what caused me to make decisions. And one of the things I found out, and I tell this to young people today, is having a difficult beginning, you gain certain advantages. Disadvantages become advantages. Think of it. Okay, think. Of, take, put yourself in old Hagem's shoes, okay? He has, he's in 15 or 20 different places before he's 18. What does he gain? Oh, that's tough. But it's really hard going from one Catholic school schoolyard to the next. It's really tough. I mean, you get beaten up. and You find out where you fit in the, in the in the order of you know the order of strength. All right. But I learned to adapt. So I had a great capability of adaptability. So when I was in business, and somebody said, you know, they said nobody's going to Japan. You want to go Japan? I went to Japan for E. F. Hutton. I took off, went to Japan. Same thing at at Lehman Brothers. They had a very small operation in China. They needed a senior partner to go. I went because I could adapt. And of course, changing jobs. I was not afraid to change jobs. When the atmosphere or the strategy was not correct, and I knew it wasn't going to succeed, I could leave that job and go to the next one.
0: You could pivot easily.
1: I could pivot easily. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and also, when you're young and you have really difficult time, you gain resilience. Resilience is like a muscle. They knock you down a couple times. You keep getting up. You learn how to get up. And, of course, perseverance. You, you persevere. You, and as soon as you do a couple of those, you look back and say, you know, I can do that. And I, I pitched these kids from Horatio Alger, all of which have probably have worse backgrounds. Than I, and I looked at them and said, you're luckier than my children because you can live the American dream. And you've got capabilities they don't have because you went through difficult times. Then finally, I find later on in life, one thing I have, an enormous amount is gratitude. Having come from that background and the change, if you had a really, you know, very good background, you don't quite appreciate the the sunrise, the house, you know, and so forth. I mean, I had no houses, and I ended up at one point in my life having four places to live in places like Nantucket and Ocean Reef and Vale. And then in, in hiring people, I found out that one of the things I had to, that none of my partners didn't have was empathy. I mean, someone would tell me about their background or about their difficult family life, and I could associate. Could yeah. So those are pretty five pretty important qualities.
0: Well, I, I do want to ask you, since we're on Nantucket here, how did the Nantucket Golf Club begin?
1: I came to Nantucket. And I said we, we we were here for two hours. My wife said, I "Get a real estate agent." And um, in nineteen that was nineteen eighty six. After looking for four years and buy, looking and bid in, bidding in Sconset and so forth, we found this wonderful piece of land on Hulbert Avenue, and we started to build a house. And I put into all the clubs and, and for whatever reason I didn't get in any of the clubs so you know, when I came back said to my wife well it looks like we built the house but nobody seems to want me So and, and we were members of the, she was in the Nantucket Historical Society and I was on the board of the, of the um, Conservation Foundation So, what, but I, I, you know it happens you know you, you, you don't sure. get along so. anyway so we built a golf course in Vail a bunch of us and Barbara said well you built one in Vail why don't you build one here I said Vail's got land there's no land here so I went out and I found a piece of land with a woman named Mimi Merton, 300 acres out there, and uh, called up the fellow at Vail. He came flying out. We went into, into the piece of land. I remember standing on top of my SUV because you couldn't see anything. It was all six foot of scrub oak. Yeah. Little <laughs> little dirt roads going. Sit up. I said, what do you think, Fred? He says, God, it looks terrific. And so we put together you know, 50 guys at yeah. $200,000 apiece. Got enough money to buy the land. There was another bidder. A very funny story. It was another bidder. We finally outbid him. But in the last bid, he took out the requirement that it had to be a golf course. We, I said, we said, we're not going to buy it unless you can, we could permit a golf course. And he took that out. So he bid anyway. And so I remember going back to each one of these 50 guys. And I said, by the way, you may end up with five five acres of inland land. You know, if you hear your money. They all said, go. And we did get the permitting, which was great. It's been one of the great experiences of all time because I, we've changed. we've changed the lives of four or 500 families, and because, it, and after about two or three years, a very funny story, because the f- first year or the second, first year, actually, someone said, will you throw a benefit at the Nantucket ice? And we, okay. And we raised more money than ever raised for almost anything else on the island except maybe the hospital. And all of a sudden, we got 14 requests. We said, whoops, it's a very <laughs> short season, can't do this. And so we sat around the table and said, let's focus on one part of Nantucket, which focus on the children. And so we started this children's charity about five or six years after the golf cup started, and it caught on big time. And then we've, we've raised about $25 million over the 24-year period. Wow. We put uh, 25 or six, 20, 26 kids into college. We are now, you know, I, I maybe modest in saying, I think we're the largest charity on the island. I think so. And, and I'm, trying to, I'm trying to convert the club, and I think we've, we're on our on way from being a, a club to an institution. And being everybody on the island, everybody in the club should feel that this is their island and they should contribute to the hospital and contribute to the, you know, to to the boys and girls club. We made a major contribution to that, and that's exciting to me. So now we become where the seal at the beginning wasn't so well accepted. Now people stop our our members and say thank you. Yes, you know, yes. Really, you know, because I think we we have tried really hard, and it's a really a disciplined process. I mean, yeah. Tommy Brissett and his wife and and a whole bunch of committee members they really go through the process, and, yeah. and every time we look at. How we do it, we every year we go through an analysis of how we do it, can we do it better. I think we, we receive 50 or 60 RFPs, and mm. we contribute to about 40 different charities on the island every year. And you know, I I, I wish I had time to spend time in government or something like that, because I, I really like to help out. So I just wanted to let
0: our listeners know, you have a
1: book talk coming up yes. with the Athenaeum. Athenaeum. That is
0: August 2nd. August 2nd. At 7 p.m. Yep. Virtual. Virtual. To wrap this up, Ed, is there any words of advice you would give to... A young person listening to to this talk right now who's maybe feeling like they're struggling, there's a lot of
1: disadvantages uh, that they're coming up against. Find your plans. And this is the real secret of that is write them down. Write where you want to go and how you expect to get there. Even though I understand that man plans and God laughs. You know, you at least know where you thought you were going to go. So when you make a pivot, you look back and say, well, did I prepare for my pivot? Well, I make it in the pivot. Well, I've got all this stuff that I've already written down. But write it down and look at it. And it's very different when you write something down. Thinking is very fuzzy. Talking is a little more definite, but you lose your your conversation. If you write something down, and I have yellow pads piled mile high throughout my life, positives, negatives, why, and so forth. Should I do it? Should I not do it? So write. Young people, if you're a senior in college or a junior, a senior in high school, start writing stuff down. You know, not saying a diary necessarily. I have a diary. I think it's important. But writing is a real definite form of communication with yourself. And by the way, the most important communication even somewhat better than communicating with Barber is communicating with yourself. The only constant in life, from birth to death, is your inner voice. And you and that inner voice have to get together. And so my advice is write it down and let the inner voice look at the, look at the pad and, and communicate with it. Yeah, well said. Ed Hajim, thank you so much. Hey, thank you very much.